Welcome to the July episode of OMP Clinical Care Insiders, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Seth O'Brien, Vice President of Prosthetics at Wheeler OMP and Chair of the Academy's Scientific Societies Committee. As you may know, July is National Cleft Palate and Craniofacial Awareness Month, and so it's the perfect opportunity to welcome today's guest, Jessica Corso. Jessica is a certified and licensed orthotist with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and she's the chair of the Academy's Craniofacial Society. Jessica, it's, it's great to see you. I really want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Great to be here. I know that you've been involved with the Craniofacial Society for many years, and what I don't know is what, what sparked sort of that career interest? Why craniofacial specialty? Well, I love babies. <laughs> I love infants. I like dealing with the parents as well. It's a part of orthotics that doesn't really have to do too much with surgery on my end. It's a device that you can see the outcome within a few weeks or months. Um, more like satisfying in that regard. Yeah, a few specialties that where you can kind of see the difference right. as it's happening. Right. Yes. So, do you have uh, babies of your own? Was that part of the love or no? Yes, definitely. I have a daughter. She just turned nine, and when she was an infant, yes, I scanned her head more than once. Awesome. Uh, had no asymmetry, but curiosity was there and. I can tell you her head circumference at birth was 12 and a half inches, and I don't know how many parents would remember that. I have two boys. I have 10 and 7, and it's funny being in this field, right? There's so many things that we are exposed to on a regular basis. I just remember during the pregnancy and leading up to it, so many things that I was just freaked out about or had an interest in that most parents are completely not on the radar. How about in the Academy's Craniofacial Society? How did you come to be involved there, or, or what was your introduction to that group? Uh, Lee Davis, she's here at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and she's a former president. She really thought I would be a good fit and introduced me to whoever was there at the time that was appropriate to take uh, over. And yeah, I've been there for quite a few years. It's really satisfying to be a part of the organized sessions, the academy today, you know, that sort of thing. Absolutely. I mean, we have to pretty much give a, a shout out to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. It, the amount of activity and leadership and involvement that comes out of that system is just incredible. So definitely props due there. Yes, many of us, yes. Uh, how about outside of work? What does Jessica do for fun? My daughter and I like to travel. Sometimes little staycations locally or uh, go down to Florida to visit some relatives. Cool. Any exotic trips that you've dared take with a nine? Is she nine now? Is that right? She's nine. Yeah. No, nothing exotic. I did go to China, though, for cranial remolding. For a work it, trip? It wasn't through Children's Healthcare Atlanta, but they allowed me to go. And it was to introduce the cranial remolding program to many hospitals in China. Wow, that's amazing. That would be so much fun. It was. Well, next time they need someone to talk about lower limb amputations yeah. or, you know, uh, talking too much for a living, then you be sure to drop my name. Right, yes. <laughs> okay. You mentioned some of the organized sessions, you know, that the society puts on. I believe you were leading a session that we had in Nashville this last year. How did that go? Tell me about it. Yeah, it was mainly on post-op care. That's really not something that I see often. 
Uh, however, the experts that we had were great and had a lot of experience and brought a lot of different angles to explain their roles or their experience. What were some of the lineups of speakers that you had? Do you remember? Sure. Uh, we had Lisa Abernethy, Dr. Edward Ahn, Jason Ramsey, and Jim Berkshire. That's great. I love the opportunities that you get, especially at the annual meeting with the Academy of really interfacing on such a great level, you know, especially with physicians and surgeons and other parts of the healthcare team that we communicate with regularly, but on a very different level, I think, at least for myself. No, no, totally agree. I, I was so satisfied and happy with Dr. Ahn. His presentation was so relaxed and easy to understand. Yeah. What was the session about? Can you give us a brief idea of you know what it was about and how it went? Uh, it was about different case studies, post-op, uh, different ideas for actual types of surgery, whether it be endoscopic or total cranial vault, and then some different pathologies that oftentimes lead to having also craniosynostosis. Okay. What were some of the takeaways from that session? Anything that people can take back to the clinic or, or some of the, you know, the detailed info or, or takeaways that anybody can move forward from that session? Yes, there are many takeaways from that talk. There is a shortage of literature in that regard for craniosynostosis, but I've personally learned a lot. How about, you mentioned sort of the post-op care, and, and obviously in that craniofacial world, one of the things that interests me the most as, you know, somebody who doesn't practice in that specialty at all, but it seems like 3D printed helmets and that digital workflow, especially for helmets, is gaining a lot of attention. Do you have any experience with those? Any thoughts around that? Yes, there are a few out there. They have to go through an FDA regulation. That's the only device that we do here that is FDA regulated. They want to make sure that the manufacturing process is proper so that when we're putting these helmets on the baby's heads that they're going to do what is intended of just redirecting future growth, whether it be 3D printed or just a standard helmet that's cranial molding. Sure. And so the approach or the care that you provide is essentially the same, just a different method of getting there, right? For us, it would be like different scanning because the manufacturers, not all of them can really accept certain files because it has to be so detailed because it's the head. Gotcha. You and I were talking a while ago and kind of sharing stories about being involved in, in sort of that R&D or beta testing or getting to have a look at technology or development before it comes out and sometimes even being involved in helping to give feedback or helping to sort of identify clinical uses, things like that. Have you had a chance to, to yes. be involved in any of that kind of stuff with the 3D printing or scanning in helmets? Yeah. Children's Healthcare Atlanta was a beta test site for a 3D printed helmet while it was still being authorized by FDA. Okay. Uh, I'll be honest, I looked at the thing at first, and I was like, oh my gosh, how could this yield the same results as one that has a lot more padding to be able to adjust? However, uh, that's been not quite a year, maybe 10 months. Definitely have good outcomes, if not better, and parents that are more satisfied because it's lighter weight and has more air holes to it. So it's not quite as encompassing or hot. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to have been in a lot of, of that type of work over the years, right? In lower limb prosthetics for myself. But 
I love how often being involved in alpha testing or beta testing or things like that and product development, just as a clinical prosthetist and sometimes as an amputee myself as well. But I love how often I like my first look at something and then the judgment or the assumption that I, is sometimes so different from what you learn after, you know, going through the protocols and things like that. And it's so cool to see how your opinion may change over time, right? Yes. Or the parents oftentimes surprised me. They just were satisfied with the lightweight aspect of it and didn't mind that you couldn't choose from 30 different patterns like you could a different style. Sure. Hey, sometimes treating the parents is sort of the, you know, with tongue in cheek, the, the harder part of treating pediatrics. But how do you find that interaction is when you're dealing specifically with helmets? Are they usually resistive or excited or thankful or, you know, how, how have you kind of found that relationship to be over the years? Yeah, it's definitely important. We definitely stress that that's one of three things to get into consideration to say whether the helmet is indicated or not, the way the baby presents or looks the parental concern, and then the the measurements from the actual scan. So yes, uh, you know, you have some parents that come in here, have already researched things on the internet and are well-versed with what they want or are expecting as far as the head shape and then severity. And sometimes it could be a head shape that's quite severe, but the parent is like, hey, if their brain's okay, then I'm okay with the head shape. Uh, and they just kind of let that take its course with more following up, doing comparison scans just to assure that the baby's not getting worse. How about the hardware and, and some of the technology that comes along with the, the digital scanning and, and that process? I know there's a lot of different devices and a lot of different technologies out there. Any pros and cons that you've come across over the, the different types of technology that's out there for scanning? The majority are handheld scanners or they're attached to an iPad. The idea is you have to keep a certain distance or parallel to the floor to be able to get the entire head shape. But, you know, it's a moving target. You have babies that are following you instead of just staring at the toy that we're trying to get them to focus on. And there's also one that I have many years experience with that the baby actually lays down in the scanner and that's 1.5 seconds. So if I can get them to lay there for 1.5 seconds, I can get all the data that I need. It's beautiful. Has that approach worked well for you in general? I'm sure there's trade-offs to all of it, but has that particular technology seemed to work well? Definitely. And of course I have a, a drawer of tricks, right? The light up toys, if that's not good, a squeaky toy, or seriously, it sometimes is as simple as an empty water bottle, right? That makes a great noise to get their attention for that short time period. I'm, I'm realizing those are the same tricks, I think, that are used on me during board gaming. <laughs> that, huh, okay. I'm, I'm learning something here. I'll have to pay more attention. How about one of the things that I've found between different scanning hardware and, and software is the challenge of getting around the object and keeping it in the target the frame. window frame. Yes. Yeah. When you're dealing with the head and a baby that obviously is difficult to keep still sometimes, what's worked well for you or, or what's challenging in terms of those different devices? Do you find that maybe a tethered device is easier because you can get around better or... 
you know, using an iPad where you have to sort of like keep it in frame while also keeping your view on it is hard. I struggle with that one, but is it different with helmets or no? Yeah, I'd say having an, an extra person certainly helps to be able to distract the baby and, and have them focus on whatever toy will then make the scanning process easier. The tethered ones, I, I really don't see much of a difference. Oftentimes the cord's long enough that you can go all the way around the parent and not have any issue. But yes, uh, keeping that distance right between <laughs> too close and too far away, green or, or uh, red or you know yellow. Do you think maybe for somebody who's interested in it but hasn't really utilized it yet and often kind of that, that cost point is maybe a, a barrier to entry, have you found that you still can get good results with some of the less expensive scanning yes. options? That's a good point. Yes. However, sometimes then their software, the detailed report that we're looking for may not be a result of that kind of scanner. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's usually a reason that you're paying exponentially more money. So so you, you kind of get out of it what you pay. But I think one of the misnomers or, or one of the assumptions from decades ago was that you had to spend $25,000 to get the technology. And it, it seems like it's really been accessible in a quality way to, to sort of that starting point. Agreed. Yes. I, I was very surprised at the lower cost of some of these handheld devices. Great. How about uh, some of the recent projects that you've been involved with with the society? Can you, um, and actually, you know what, let's start with a big congratulations to you for being voted part of the best of for Craniofacial Society Academy Today published articles. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's always fun that I was part of that as being the author, but now I'm part of it being the organizer and getting authors. Uh, we're going to have, uh, I think it's an October issue coming up. It's great. A lot of different aspects of cranial to learn about and for us to share. That. Did it come with a flower basket and, and a bottle of champagne as the selection process was announced or no? No, not no. quite. It's but probably we, still have really dedicated people that, you know, they're passionate about their viewpoint or their concern. And I want to share that or want to get others' opinions as well. Sure. Do, do you want to share at all what people can be on the lookout? What, what was the article that was selected? Do you want to share it? The title is The Importance of a Multidisciplinary Team in the Prevention, Identification, Evaluation, and Management of Infants Presenting with Non-Synestotic Cranial Deformities. So really that team approach, which here at Children's Healthcare Atlanta I'm very blessed and fortunate to have that kind of relationship where I am geographically close, but also just have a great rapport with our neurosurgeons, uh, the physical therapists, you know, any kind of medical provider that the baby has. We definitely include everyone and make them part of the team. Well, for our, our listeners who, who haven't yet seen this and may not know completely about this edition or this article that's, you know, coming back out as the best of, congratulations to you because basically these articles were voted on by the members of each society as, you know, being the, the quote unquote best of, you know, most memorable, most impactful, you know, wh whatever their criteria might be. Um, and so that was something that your article was voted on by the membership. So definitely congratulations. Thank you. How about uh, another kind of project from societies and many of our society members and leaders are fellows. And I know in July, there's a Fellows First Friday. Do you want to share a little bit about that one coming up? 
And actually, I guess I probably need to pull back the curtain a little bit. I think that will have already happened when this aired. Yeah. As you and I are talking, it hasn't happened yet. But um, I think it, it probably is last week. So we can just pretend like it happened last week, right? Mm-hmm. But for anybody who maybe didn't see it, what is that Fellows First Friday about? And people can find it on the Academy's website. It was myself and Steve Slowinski. We focused on outcome measures. Uh, I did a bit of the history of the Children's Healthcare Atlanta severity scale for CVAI. And Steve had some more specifics about outcomes and sometimes outcomes that you're not anticipating. Well, I watched it. I was there and you were amazing in it. So I don't know how you do it, but thank you for all you do there too. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the listeners can't see the uh, the look that she's giving me on how foolish I sound. Um, how about someone who's interested in craniofacials? So, you know, maybe they're a younger clinician and they didn't have as much exposure to that. Maybe they're a more seasoned clinician and just an area of the practice that they want to get into or want to kind of flex their muscles in a little bit. How can someone get involved in craniofacial society? And maybe you can also paint a little bit of a picture and how that can help them as they develop their skill and, and their, their knowledge around that topic. Yeah, so it starts with joining our society and being part of uh, what we have to offer with the website and different forums or our blog. We also welcome any thoughts on organized session topics or topics for the Academy today. That's a great place to start. It is made of all different levels of experience for sure, but I think that's what really makes it great. So, you know, some of the younger ones, they're younger in, the, in their profession and their career can have a different take on something that, you know, myself as a seasoned clinician didn't have, but I could learn from. Yeah. And one of the questions I'm getting the most now, especially with, with the podcast coming out and being more involved in the annual meetings over the years is I'm surprised at the number of people that think that the societies are really only for experts in that field. Right. And there's an amazing mix of people who are mentors and experts and, you know, what, what you might call SMEs, the, the subject matter experts. But then there's also a lot of clinicians and, and even other healthcare providers that are just interested in the area. So you have this great dynamic of mentors and people who are doing things like authoring for the Academy Today or doing webinars or doing annual meeting organized sessions. But then you also have a lot of people who are hungry to learn or just better understand and just kind of be participants too. So I would certainly say anybody who's interested in that area of practice, the societies are a wonderful place for all levels of experience. For students. And students, absolutely. Uh And some of the involvement that we've had from students over the last five to 10 years, I think is incredible. So that's exciting for sure. If somebody were interested in getting involved with the societies, what's the best way to get started? Uh, just sign up and maybe shoot me an email so I can get you kind of started. We're going to put your email, your phone, your home address, uh, your schedule. We'll put it all on the, the links for, from this episode. And that way people can make sure that they, if they can't get a hold of you, they can just show up at, you know, the gym or, or, or right. uh, on your next vacation and, and anything else that you would like to touch on. It's been a, an awesome conversation having you. And I certainly thank you for taking the time out of your day as you are kind of sneaking into a back room at work to talk with me. But uh, anything else you'd like to touch on before we go? Just excited to have new members join and definitely just reach out 
if they have any questions or or have anything to contribute. Well, in all seriousness, we will put some contact info into the show notes, but it won't be your personal info. So maybe if you're okay with it, I can I can sweet talk you into including your email in there. But, oh, but yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Good. N- nothing like putting you on the spot to say yes. Oh, it's on the site anyway. <laughs> That's right. Well, Jessica, it's been great. Really, thank you so much for taking the time and, and for all that you do for the Academy and, and the societies as a whole. We look forward to seeing your article published in the Academy today, republished as a best of. Awesome. Thank you, guys. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of OMP Clinical Care Insiders. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with key voices in the OMP community, discussing their areas of clinical care and sharing personal experiences as professionals in that specialty. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for OMP professionals, the award-winning OMP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard and OMP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our field. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, visit us online at onp.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.